All right, open your Bibles with me this morning. Once again to the book of Acts. The book of Acts. I don't know how much time you've hung out in the book of Acts, but if you haven't, let me invite you to spend some time in it. I don't know that there's ever been a church culture like the one we've got right now. And I don't mean necessarily this the culture of this particular church, but I'm talking about the body of Christ around the world. And um, we're, we're watching things go on. Churches grow. Uh, there are places, I mean, we could name them and you, you would have heard of them. You would have seen them. Places that are reaching people by the thousands and the tens of thousands. And it's awesome to see it. I'm thankful to be alive in this generation, yeah. to get to see things that other generations longed to see. Yeah. And I believe that there were people 100 years ago, 200 years ago, 500 years ago, that if they could see yes. what was happening in the earth right now, yes. or if they were here to tell us, they would say, this is what we dreamed about. Yeah. This is what we saw. Like we talked about a moment ago, the spread of the gospel and the, the means by which it spreads. Jesus told us that there would be things that we would do that he did, which I think in and of itself is enough for you to try to wrap your brain around. But then he went and made it worse and said, and greater things than these will you do. And I believe that part of the greater things is the way, the methods by which we're seeing the gospel spread right now. When Jesus lived and walked the earth, the very most that you could do was talk to a crowd, one crowd at a time. Maybe it was a big crowd, but that was about as far as you could spread the gospel at one time. But through technology and the different things that we're seeing right now in the earth, it, it really to me is a sign and a wonder. And it's one of the greater things. Yes. Jesus didn't get to preach online when he walked the earth. We do. Yes. We do. And I'm thankful for it. One of the things though that you will see as pockets of churches grow, you've got other churches like ours who are either new or young or small. And the temptation is to lock on to another church and say, okay, what are they doing? How are they doing that? Huh? Let's do it how they did it. Who's got a bunch of people in there? Okay, well, let's do what they did. <laughs> Who's got multiple services? Okay, let's do what they did. Who's got a bunch of campuses? All right, well, let's just do what they did. And I'm not saying that there aren't things to learn. There certainly are. And I am thankful, thankful, grateful for the examples in the body of Christ of places who are doing it in a way that brings honor to God. But if you have to pick a church to model your church after, baby, it better start in the book of Acts. <laughs> I mean, look no further. Because this is the church that we're a part of. This is not a different church. This is the church. This is the one we're a part of. Now, this thing has spread and it's global now, but it is the church. This, we are still a part of this book of Acts church. And the Lord began uh, several weeks ago causing us just to look and take stock of what was going on in the book of Acts, especially at how these people grew, how this body grew and didn't just grow. It was explosive growth. 
Anybody interested in some explosive growth, not just in this church, but how about in your own family? How about in your own life? How about in your own finances? Could you use some explosive growth, explosive increase? Well, it's not a mystery. Like we said, I believe it was last week, you begin with the, the confidence and the foundation. God's will for us is increase, but then you look not just to his will, but to his way. How does he increase? What is his prescribed method of increase? And we've been looking at it as the church here in the book of Acts grew. I'm saying, so will we grow. When we look at the catalyst of their growth, that's what we're going to use as our example. That's how we're going to grow. And without really intending to, it keeps coming back around. Have you noticed this? It keeps coming back around to being a church full of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I really wasn't intending to do that. Honestly, I swear, I promise. <laughs> I thought, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get into some of those things when the church is, is growing and developing and, and we've got a core of people and we can really hit on some of these fundamental things of, of what it means to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Lord's like, uh, no, do it now. And it's interesting to me. Here we are in the first few days of this church preaching explosive growth, yeah. right? Here's how you grow explosively. And there's this little nagging thing. You can almost see it right here in the back of my mind going, Jeremy, this church is baby. It's not even open. There's a handful of people. What do you know about explosive growth? <laughs> Shouldn't you wait until you've grown to start preaching about how to grow? But if there's anything I've learned growing up in the house of faith, it's that you don't wait to see something before you say something. It would be like me saying, well, I'll preach salvation once people start getting saved. No, I ain't getting over into that until some people start getting saved. Okay, if I see them get saved, then we'll start preaching salvation. That's ridiculous. That's foolish, right? It's like saying, well, I'm not going to preach that healing stuff unless I see some people get healed. Sorry, wrong. Doesn't work that way. Right. We know that, right? Mm -hmm. We'll apply that same principle. It would be foolish to say, well, I'll start preaching church growth once the church starts growing. <laughs> no, that's not how it's going to happen. Really we preach it. Faith comes when we hear it. Yeah. We believe it. Yes. And then we see it. Amen. So we're looking at how this church has been growing. And I want to stay with that here in the book of Acts chapter 1. Look at verse 6. This is just in the, the last few seconds before Jesus ascends into heaven. In verse 6 of Acts chapter 1 says, Therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8, though, But you shall receive, say it out loud, power. You shall receive, say it again, power. When do you get this power? When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You shall receive what? Power. power. When? The Holy How do you get this power? When the Holy Spirit comes on you. What happens when the Holy Spirit comes on you? You get this power. I have here written in my Bible out next to this Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. Power. 
I'm telling you, a powerful people, a powerful church is an attractive place. We want to be powerful people. Anybody interested in having some more power? Because that power is, is literally strength. That's what this word means. It means ability. It means having the ability to do what before you could not do. What you were too weak to do. What you lacked the strength to do. This increase of power is more ability. And we see that it is very closely associated with the anointing. The anointing that we just mentioned it a moment ago, how God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and with power. Well, the word Christ, you know, this means the anointed and his anointing. And there is this strength, this strengthening that comes with that anointing. I can do all things through, through what? Christ. I can do all things through that anointing. Why? Why all of a sudden can you do all things? Because that anointing is what, what's that verse say in Philippians chapter four? I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens. Here comes that ability. Here comes that power. Here comes that strengthening. We want this power. Let me tell you something. If you didn't know it already, I am informing you now. You want this power. You want this power working, not just in the church you go to. You want it working at home. You want it working on the job. You want it working while you rest and sleep. You want your life to be defined and characterized by this kind of power. We don't have time to be powerless people. Let me say it again. We don't have time to be powerless people. We don't have time to... Speak empty words that don't do anything, that don't produce anything. If you or anybody else comes into this church and what you hear is powerless, it was a waste of your time and a waste of mine. We don't have time to be powerless. We want this power. We want this power in operation. One thing we have to do, though, is maybe rewire a little bit the way we think about the power of God. Not that I think we've thought wrongly about it, but maybe incompletely. You start thinking about the power, you start thinking about the Holy Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, the Spirit coming on you, and almost immediately people's thoughts go to miracles and signs and wonders, which is right, and it's good, and it is another catalyst to the growth of this church. And I think we may spend some more time talking about that soon. I think we might call it miracle grow. (laughs) When there's miracles, you grow. (laughs) But that's not the the only purpose of the power. We think about the Holy Spirit, somebody being filled with the Spirit and immediately beginning to pray in that unknown tongue, being being filled with, with the Spirit of God and the manifestation of speaking in other tongues. Certainly a part of it. We've touched on it. We'll talk more about it, but that's not all. That's not all that power is for. Look at this verse again. Verse 8 in Acts chapter 1. He said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What's the power for, Jesus? And you shall be witnesses. Witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. 
What's this power for? Is the power for signs and wonders and miracles? You bet it is. Is the power of God filling up in you and coming on you to strengthen you to pray, even pray in an unknown tongue? You bet it is. But what Jesus said here, I mean, this is, this is with his toes barely touching the ground. This is on his way up and out of here. This is what he said. You will receive this power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And what do you do with it? Jesus, what's the power for? Hold on, wait, don't go. <laughs> You'll be witnesses. The power is to strengthen your witness. It's to strengthen your witness. Now the word witness, you know this, it literally means one who testifies to what they've seen, what they've heard, or what they know. A witness is one who testifies to what they've seen, what they've heard, or what they know. And it's so funny to me when we use these words in church and you hear the word in the confines or in the four walls of the church and it means one thing. But you step one foot out into the quote-unquote real world and all of a sudden that same word means something else entirely. In church, to be a witness means, okay, well, I tell somebody about Jesus. It means that I, I take them to the word and I show them the scriptures about who Jesus was and is and that he died and that he rose again and I'm witnessing. But you take that same word witness and you walk out of the building with it and all of a sudden it's not about preaching a message, is it? It's not about showing somebody a scripture. Being a witness out there just simply means you saw something, you heard something, you know something. And you take that word into a, a courtroom atmosphere and you or anybody could be called on as a witness. And when you take that witness stand, what they ask you to do is testify. Do you, do you swear that the testimony you're about to give is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. So help you God. That testimony, that testifying of what you've seen, what you heard and what you know, that's what makes you a witness. And you realize that to, to take that witness stand, they don't require you to be a preacher. They don't require you to be a gifted speaker. They don't require you to have taken public speaking classes at the junior college where you grew up. They don't require any of that. To be a witness, all you have to be able to do is say what you saw, say what you heard, or say what you know. And the truth is that if you didn't see and you haven't heard and you don't know, you're not a witness. And if you take that stand, without having seen or heard or known something, you're a liar. And you can get in a lot of trouble for it. But the only requirement for a witness is somebody who saw something, heard something, knows something. Let me read this to you from the Weist translation. Acts 1.8 from Weist says, you will receive power, listen to this, power of the kind which God has. The power that he's given you when the Spirit of God comes on you is not a different power than what he has and what he operates with. Come on, say it out loud. Same power. power. We know that from scripture. It's the same power that raised Christ from the dead that dwells in you. It's the same stuff. 
it's the same stuff. That gets me excited. You shall receive power of the kind which God has and exerts after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I want to bring your attention to it again. There is no power without the Spirit of God coming on you. There is no power without the Spirit of God coming on you. There's no power apart from it. You'll receive power of the kind which God has and exerts after the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be those who testify of what they have seen and experienced. My witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. What's this power for? Is it to be a preacher? Come on, help me. Is the power that comes on you as a believer... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, is it to be a preacher, a teacher, a, to stand in the fivefold gifts, to, to stand behind? No, it's not. Now, we put a lot of emphasis here. I'm thankful for this call. I'm grateful for this anointing. Not just that I believe it's on my life, but I'm so thankful for the anointing that's been on the lives of the ministers and the, the ministry gifts that I've received from and that have changed my life. But here we have to be watchful that we don't look to that and think, well, every believer is supposed to be that. Not every believer is. The Bible tells us not all are apostles, not all are prophets, not all are pastors, teachers, evangelists, not all, but all are called as witnesses. Every one of us. Go to uh, 2 Timothy with me. This has already taken way too long. <laughs> Folks, look at me. I have determined not to wear you out. And so instead of preaching with a big notebook, I got this thing. <laughs> and I said, all right, Jeremy, you have to fit the whole thing on a page. So this is the entire sermon today. But we're not even through the first sentence. <laughs> It's 20 minutes. I hate the devil. All right. Second Timothy. Thank you, Lord. Somebody say, help him, Lord. I've literally had crowds stretch their hands towards me and say, I said, say this after me, Jeremy. They said, Jeremy. And I said, shut up. It helps me sometimes. Second Timothy chapter one. In verse six, read a couple of verses here. Paul writing to Timothy said, Therefore, I remind you to stir up the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Stir up that gift. Now, that's not something apart from the impartation of the Holy Spirit. He said, stir this up. Those words stir up literally mean rekindle this, put life in the fire again. It's like pouring, dousing a, a fledgling fire with a can of gasoline and just watching that thing uh, roar again. And that's what he's telling them. Stir it up. Stir up this gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Now, now make note of this. Where is this gift? Where did he tell them it was? Stir up the gift of God that is in you. When? Right now. It's in you right now. Don't go looking somewhere else for it. Don't go begging somebody else for it. It's in you right now. How to get there, Paul? It got there when I laid my hands on you in faith and separated you to this ministry. He said, stir up that gift that is in you. And he called it a gift. Now notice verse 7 in connection to that. For God has not given us, in other words, this is not a gift from God, a spirit of fear. That's not a gift from God. And if it's not a gift from God, 
Don't put up with it. it. Don't tolerate it. And definitely don't be deceived into thinking God put that in your life. The spirit of fear in any shape or form is not a gift from him. And Paul wrote to him and said, you need to stir up what is a gift. Rekindle what is the gift that is in you. Because this thing, this fear, and you can read it throughout both letters from Paul to Timothy. This guy was dealing with some stuff. Paul wrote to him and said, I'm mindful of your tears. I mean, Timothy, he was a sensitive young man. And he was dealing with a, with a lot of things, you know. Was it right here? I think it was in this same chapter. Yeah, just a verse before this. He wrote to him and said, when I call, recall the, uh, the uh, bring to remembrance the genuine faith that is in you, which dwelt first in your grandmother and in your mother. That's what every guy wants to hear from his mentor, you know. Every, every young guy from this big, strong mentor, he wants to hear, you know what? You remind me of your grandma. <laughs> you, you're a lot like your mom. And the reason I know this is painful is because of how many times it's been said to me. But in verse 7, he said to him, God has not given you the spirit of fear, but, or but the spirit of what? Power. There it is again. That is the gift. The spirit of power and love and of a sound mind. Now, normally we stop there, but look at verse 8 in connection to it. Therefore, or in light of this gift, this spirit of power you've got, therefore, do not be ashamed of what? The testimony. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Why? Because God didn't give you that spirit of fear. Listen to it from the Amplified Bible. God did not give us a spirit of timidity, of cowardice, of craven and cringing and fawning fear. But he has given us a spirit of power and of love and of calm and well-balanced mind and discipline and self-control. Now listen to verse 8. Do not blush. Do not blush or be ashamed then to testify to and for our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake. But with me, take your share of the suffering to which the preaching of the gospel may expose you and do it in the power of God. Don't blush, he said. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed to do what? Testify. Don't be afraid to just be a witness. Now, don't forget here, this is about the growth of this place. This is about the increase of this place. Not that we all become preachers. Not that you have to leave this place and and become a, a, a student of the word to the point where you're outlining sermons and, and Roman numeral one and point A and sub point two. And no, no, hold on. That's not what he's asking of all of us. I've already shown you how I do it. <laughs> it don't look anything like that. What he is telling you that he requires from you and that he's anointed you to do is be a witness. Be a witness. Right there where we read earlier today and, and a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter four, when they took Peter and John prisoner and said, don't speak anymore. Don't speak in this name. Don't preach in this name anymore. And Peter, with boldness, looked back at these people and said, whether it's right in the sight of God, either to to not speak or to speak, he said, you judge, but, this is what he said in Acts chapter 4, 
we cannot but speak of the things we've seen and the things we've heard. That's what that church grew as a result of. That church did not grow because Peter and the boys were such great orators and could craft a sermon. It didn't grow because they stood behind a pulpit on a Sunday morning and said, open your Bibles with me this morning. There was no Bible to open. You know what they did? They talked about what they'd seen. They talked about what they'd heard. And even John, later on in 1 John chapter 1, he talked about from the beginning, we handled the word. We were there. We saw it with our own eyes. We heard it with our ears. And he said, this was our witness to you. What we witnessed, we declared to you so that you and I could have fellowship with each other. But it wasn't the result of great preaching and great teaching. And there certainly was that, and there is that, and there always will be that. These are gifts that God's given to men. But not all of us are called to it. Not all of us are anointed for that. And I will tell you this, you will never be more frustrated trying to do something you think you're supposed to do, but yet it's not something he's called you to. And how many people have been put under pressure either by parents or just somebody else's expectation to to stand in a pulpit? Oh, I got to be a preacher. I don't want to be, but I guess I'm supposed to be. And it's nothing but dry. It's nothing. There's no power in it. There's no life in it. But right on the other hand, there will never be a more anointed word come out of your mouth than what you have personally seen and what you have heard. Never, never will there be anything more powerful than your own testimony, than just simply what God has done for you. It's so simple and yet it's so powerful. Thank you, Lord. Go to the book of Mark with me. Mark chapter five. In Mark chapter 5, we see the account of Jesus having just crossed over the other side of the sea with his disciples. And they came through that storm and they got to the other side. And as soon as they got there, you remember this, that crazy naked guy came running up who was demon possessed and had been bound and had been chained and nothing could bind him. He broke the chains and he just cried out in the mountains night and day and night and day. And he was there and he cut himself. And that demonic force working through him had just crippled that whole coast and that whole region with fear. I mean, can you imagine living next to that and hearing it all the time? A couple of years ago, Sarah and I and the kids moved into a house We didn't know we weren't going to be there long, but we bought this house. It was close to the school. It was close to the office. And the night we moved in, we laid down. And I don't know why it didn't dawn on me until that moment that we had moved less than a mile from a train crossing and less than two miles from six train crossings. And we're laying in bed there and it sounds like this train is in our backyard. It was so loud. 
And we just both cried, what have we done? And we could hear every one of them. We could hear them starting miles down the road. And it was the same blast at every crossing. Two long ones, a short one, and a long one. And it was everyone, and oh my Lord, I thought the, the real estate agents conveniently left out the fact that there are these train whistles blowing all the time. Well, can you imagine? Can you imagine looking at a home there in that region of the Gadarenes and, oh, I like this. These are great features. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere comes this, ah, this howling. And you're, you look at the real estate agent and say, what was that? And they're like, well, I was going to tell you about it, but there is this demon-possessed man who howls. Well, how often does he do it? Night and day. He's right there. And I mean, it had to be terrible for the real estate prices, all of it. I mean, it's just a bad situation. And uh, this is going on, and it's crippled this whole region with fear. And when Jesus gets to the other side, you know the story. This guy comes running to him. Jesus commands that demon to come out of him. He fell at his feet. He worshiped him. I mean, everything has changed in a moment of time. But uh, you skip down to, oh, about verse... Well, you remember Jesus cast out the demons. They went into the pigs. The pigs ran off the cliff. Freaked some people out, that's for sure. But when Jesus was about to leave again, he got back into the boat, verse 18. And it says, He who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. Now that's understandable, isn't it? You know how you were moments ago. You know. And, and I, from... From studying some of these things and hearing accounts, there are people, there are those who don't live full time under the influence of that demon. It's like it comes and it goes and they'll be in their right mind and then all of a sudden it's like it's possession, it's taken over. And this guy knows that just moments before this, he knew what it was like to be totally and completely crippled by this and couldn't function in society. And he knew what it was like to be bound and to be chained and to be hurting himself and cutting himself and to cry out night and day, sometimes in fear, sometimes just the voice of that demon crying out. And because of this guy, because this guy showed up on my shores, he spoke a word and now I'm free. Now I'm free and I'm in my right mind and clothes clothes who knew what clothes felt like it's so good to put clothes on I mean his life has changed in a moment and he's begging Jesus as Jesus gets back in the boat this guy's going please let me come with you let me come with you I want to preach with you I want to preach with you and the guys let me be one of you but notice what Jesus said to him verse 19 Jesus did not permit him but said to him what go home Go home to your friends and tell them, preach to them a message from the word about salvation. Did he say that? Did he say preach to them a message about healing? Tell them how in six easy steps, they too can be free from thousands of demons. No. What did he say? Go home and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you. And how he had compassion on you. That's it. That man, in a, in a sentence, received from Jesus the assignment for the rest of his life. His calling was in that right there. Go tell people what God did for you. 
And what happened? Verse 20. He departed and began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. Now that, those people in that city, if you remember, they begged Jesus to leave. They said, you got to go. You got to go. So instead of Jesus staying, you know what he did? He told the one who had just seen and heard for himself to stay. You go tell them. They don't want to hear it from me. They'll listen to you. That's powerful, isn't it? That's powerful. And he did not call this man to be that we know of some pastor, some evangelist in, in that sense where he stands and expounds upon doctrine. No, just tell him what God did for you. Just give him your testimony. Tell him what you saw. Tell him what you heard. Tell him what you know. That's what makes you a witness. A witness in John chapter four. Let's see the same thing at work. Jesus came to the well of Samaria. And you remember what happened there? There was a woman at the well and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And it just confused her. She was confused. Why are you a Jew asking a drink of me, a Samaritan? There were some definitely some, some racial issues, some religious issues there. Jesus said to her, verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you'd have asked him and he would have given you living water. She was curious, at least by that. Give me this water so I don't have to come here anymore. This is hard work. Jesus says, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. The woman said to him, verse 15, yeah, I'll take some. That sounds good. Jesus said to her in 16, go call your husband and come here. And she said, I don't have one. He said, you're right. You've had five. The one you're with now is not your husband. And I love how in verse 19, she just, just so subtly changes the subject. You notice that people have a tendency to do that when the light turns on and, and it kind of shines on some of their scandalous past and some things they've, the ways they've missed it and some sins they've committed. Man, it's just natural, the, the, the nature of the flesh, just to want to change the subject. And she did. She said, sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Really? You picked up on that. Way to go. She said, our fathers worshiped on this mountain. You Jews say that in Jerusalem is the place to worship. He said to her, woman, believe me, the hour's coming and now is. You'll neither worship there or in this mountain. Or you'll, you worship what you don't know. He said, the hour's coming when true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and in truth. And God is seeking those. And the woman said to him in verse 25, I know that Messiah is coming. Isn't that funny? Claiming to look for the one she's standing there talking to. And yet she doesn't recognize him. We could talk more about that, but Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Verse 27, at this point, his disciples came and they marveled that he talked with the woman, yet no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Listen to this from 28 though. The woman then left her water pot. She got so excited, she ran off and left it, went her way into the city and said to the men, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Now, we don't know what kind of reputation this lady has. We do know that she's been married and divorced, married and divorced five times, and now she's with somebody that's not her husband. So maybe you could make some assumptions about the reputation she has in the city. Maybe it says something to us that she's there drawing water by herself and not at the time when everybody else comes. 
Maybe that says something to us about her credibility, her reputation, and what people think of her in this city. And yet she got so excited by the encounter she just had with Jesus that she ran home and all she said was, come see a man who told me all the things that I ever did. Could this be the Christ? Verse 30, then they went out of the city and came to him. Look what happened in verse 39. Many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. She testified. What is a testimony? It is the word of a witness who just simply saw something, heard something, or knows something. They came and they believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. This woman encountered the power. It was the power of the Holy Spirit operating in a word of wisdom. Something Jesus couldn't know apart from the Spirit. And she experienced it. And all she did, this is it. This is what so amazes me. All she did is went and told them what happened. Now, evidently, there was enough anointing on it. Because otherwise, what would you do if, if the lady that everybody in town knew as one way or another, I'll keep this PG, if, uh, if, the, if the lady with the least amount of credibility in town comes and tells you to, come look, I think I may have met the Messiah. Man, without the anointing on that, yeah. nobody's coming. Nobody's doing anything. But with confidence in the anointing, this is what I saw. This is what I heard. There was enough anointing on it that began to draw these people. Verse 40, so when the Samaritans had come to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed. Many more believed. What is this? This is increase. This church is growing. Many more believed because of his own word. And they said to the woman, now we believe not because of what you said, for we ourselves have heard him. And we know that this is indeed the Christ, the savior of the world. See, she witnessed and it drew people and they became themselves witnesses. Do you see what happens? This is how a church grows. This is how a body increases. Finally, look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. We'll begin to wrap it up. 1 Peter chapter 3. I mentioned to you earlier that I was down in Fort Worth, um, a part of that televised event. And there was, a, just like I said, a lot of ministers and ministries represented on that platform. And, and a number of people had opportunity to speak they asked me to, to address the viewing audience a couple of times, and we did. And at one point, my dad, who was one of the hosts of the program, just would go to various and different ministers and ministries and ask them just to just talk to the people, encourage them to be a part of this vision and this expansion. And it got to a couple who are good friends of Sarah and I's. Um, it's a couple, it's a man named Mylon Lefevre. And I think maybe many of you know of him. Those of you watching may know Mylon. Mylon's quite a bit older than us, but he's, he and his wife, Christy, have just been faithful friends and partners with us in our ministry and encouragement to us. And I don't know if you know Mylon's story or not, but man, he's got one. He has got an 
awesome story. I mean, as a 17-year-old kid, he, was, he was, grew up in a family that was a uh, Southern gospel, I believe, a, a gospel singing family, big family. They were known throughout the church for their gospel songs, wrote songs and, and held events where other writers would come and they would just sing gospel songs together. He, as a 17-year-old kid, really wasn't living for the Lord. And his mom said to him one day, you couldn't write a gospel song if you tried. I think I have the story right. Does that sound right? Well, to prove her wrong, he ends up writing this gospel song. And after he graduated school, he went into the army and was stationed somewhere else in the United States. But his family said, we want you to come home on leave and attend. Uh, they had these... I don't know what they called them, sing-alongs or something where they would have a night where they just come together and, like I said, sing these gospel songs. Well, he decided to come home for it. He had to hitchhike off the base uh, and then hitchhike all the way home. I think he was going from North Carolina to Mississippi or something like that, somewhere in the south, uh, Georgia maybe. And He's in his army fatigues. He rolls up to the event basically in time for it to start. Didn't even have time to get home and shower. I hope I'm telling this story right. He goes in there. They wanted him to sing his gospel song. Well, I think unbeknownst to him and most of the people in the room, behind a plate glass, a one-way window, was sitting Elvis Presley. Elvis, some of you may know, loved gospel music. And it was told that even after his big concerts, these big arena shows, that he would bring his band, who were the Imperials, these, these gospel singers, he'd make, make everybody go back to his hotel room after the concert that gets out at whatever, 10, 11 o'clock at night, and all night long, they'd sit up and sing gospel songs. Wow. He loved gospel music. And watching from behind that window was Elvis Presley and this young 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid stood up in his army uniform and sang this gospel song he wrote on a dare called Without Him. Without Him, I would be dying. Without Him, I'd surely fail. Without Him, I would be drifting like a ship without a sail. Elvis decided he liked that song told his producer, Colonel Tom Parker, I want to record that song. But one of the arrangements Elvis had with people when he would record their songs is they would get their writer royalty, he would keep the publishing, which was a good deal. Yeah. I mean, if Elvis is going to record your song, yeah. go for it. It's going to be okay. <laughs> but he told his producer, let the boy keep his publishing. He just was so touched because, you know, Elvis had been in the service and here he is singing, seeing this young kid. Wow. I'm telling you, Mylon's got a story. Yes. It's an awesome story. And then um, he got called on that night. I was down there in Fort Worth to give or to, to preach a minute and talk to the people watching. And he began to, and he began to preach to him. And the word says this, and he's an he's a anointed preacher. He travels all over the country and around the world. He and Christy preaching the gospel. And he began to preach and it was good. But Sarah noticed this. She was watching from home, and I saw the same thing in the studio when it happened. In a moment, he shifted from preaching, and he went over into giving his testimony. And he said, I'm talking to somebody right now who's strung out on heroin. And he said, I know what it is. I've been there. I was so deep in it. I was so dark in it, he said. 
And he said, I didn't know a way out. But then he began to talk about what happened and how somebody told him about Jesus and how he gave his heart to the Lord and how the next day he was free from heroin, from coke, from every drug he'd ever done. And he just started to tell his testimony, what he'd seen, what he'd heard, what he knew. And the whole atmosphere of that room I was in changed. Sarah, even when, as soon as I got in the car, we weren't even away from the airport. After I got home, she said, I'll tell you what one of the most powerful moments was, was when Mylon gave his testimony. I said, I know I saw it. I saw it come on him. It, it wasn't like that. It was some big message. It wasn't that it was major revelation or insight from the word. It was just his testimony. I'm talking to somebody right now. I've been where you are. Jesus freed me. He'll free you too. Power. Power. I have a story. It doesn't involve heroin, but I have a story. You have a story. Every one of you have a testimony. Don't put pressure on yourself to be some pulpit preacher. But you've got a story. My story is a mercy story. Now I got testimony about growing up in the house of faith. And I'll tell you too, in all these years of traveling, there have been a dozen times or more where I've gone into a service and I haven't known what to preach. Sought the Lord, prayed over it, don't really have a place to start. And whenever that happens, I know, start with your testimony. Just start with what the Lord's done. So I just tell the story. I tell the story of what it was like growing up. In a, in a pastor's home, the story of what it was like growing up in the house of faith. Funny stories, things the Lord did for us, things the Lord showed us, showed me as a kid, things that we're doing now in our home as a, as a house of faith. Just tell the story. Just tell the story. And I've seen it over and over. I can bore a crowd to sleep trying to expound on scripture. I've done it. But man, you start telling that story. And people just kind of wake up. Why? Because you're a witness. It's, you can't deny it. How's somebody going to tell you that it didn't happen? You were there. It happened to you. My story is a mercy story. I was, in the years before I met Sarah, man had just been through relationship hell and come out on the other side hurt and, and condemned and feeling like I'd blown it in a number of different ways and just told the Lord one time, if you ever see fit to bring somebody into my life, I know it will be your mercy on me. I know it will. Somebody to fall in love with, somebody to marry and do life with, I know it'll be your mercy. And Wednesday night, March 7th, sitting in a Mexican food restaurant in Branson, Missouri, in walks Sarah Hart and the Lord spoke up on the inside and said, I want you to meet my mercy. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. And from that day forward, I'm telling you, it was years. And even to this day, it's hard for me to tell that story without tears coming to my eyes. Because I was there. I saw it. I heard it. I know his mercy is enduring. I know it lasts from everlasting to everlasting. And it endures forever. How do I know that? Because he showed it to me. He showed it to me. And I have a mercy story. You have a story. And people love stories. 
First Peter chapter three, verse 15 says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense. Other translations say to give an answer to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Always be ready. Be ready to preach? No. Not unless that's your call. Not unless that's the anointing that's on your life. Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who says or asks for a reason. Why do you got hope? What's all this hope about? Hmm? Why, why do you live with such expectation of good? I never see anything good. How do you live with that? And you got to be ready. And it's not going to be, well, sit down here with me and open your Bibles. First of all, to Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, you lost them. You lost them. But if you're ready to testify of what you've seen and what you've heard, people will listen and the Lord will anoint it. There will be power on it. And it will melt hearts. You might be talking to the atheist of all atheists. But there, there can be an anointing on your word, your testimony, your experience that will soften hearts and melt hearts to a place where they're open and ready to receive. Be ready. Be ready. And it's so simple. What is your testimony? It's three parts. Who you were what happened, and who you are now. Because every single one of us were somebody else. We were. And then you encountered the love of God, and something happened, and it changed. Like Mylon said, the next day, I was free from every addiction. I never touched the stuff again. Wow. How's that happen? Power. Power. The scripture talks to us in the book of Ephesians about every saint comprehending what is the length and the depth and the breadth and the height and knowing the love of God, which passes all knowledge, which has always been an interesting thing to me to read that knowing something that passes knowledge, knowing something you can't know. But that's not really what he was saying. He's saying, I want you to know something. And that's the Greek. That's one Greek word that passes knowledge. That's a different Greek word. This Greek word about knowing the love of God, you look it up and it literally has to do with knowledge that comes from experience. Knowledge that comes from you experiencing. This other word knowledge was just head knowledge, book knowledge, if you will, research knowledge. And you can fill up a brain with that stuff and have no experience. What he's saying is, I want every saint, every saint in this church, every saint in the global body of Christ needs to be rooted and grounded in this knowledge of the love of God that comes from an experience with it. So what if your testimony doesn't include that you got free from heroin and cocaine? So what if it doesn't include that you were married and divorced five times and now look, the Lord has been merciful to you. It doesn't have to be those details, but I guarantee you, you have a story that involves you coming into contact with the love of God and what that love can do and has done for you. It's knowledge with experience, not just knowledge. And that's what you want. You want that knowledge with an experience. And that's what really, that's what qualifies us. 
And I know there are things we see in the word and even before we experience them, we latch hold of them by faith and we say it and we believe it and we preach it until we do. But there are other things like the love of God. You know what makes you an effective minister of the love of God? You've seen it. You've tasted it. You've experienced it. It's not because you can outline a sermon about it. It's because I was there when it saved me. It's because you were there when it healed you. You were there when it lifted you up. You were there when it freed you from addiction. You were there. And you can't argue with that. Knowledge that comes from this experience. I've said it so many times before. Who do you want flying your airplane? Huh? A pilot that's been to school and that has tons of experience, flown every imaginable aircraft. He's, he's been in small stuff. He's been in big stuff. He's been in slow stuff. He's been in fast stuff. He flew military. He, after, after he had a career in the military and experienced every imaginable emergency situation, then he went into commercial and flew that for about 20 years. And he's just got thousands and thousands of hours. Or do you want some guy that subscribes to every airplane magazine and has seen Top Gun 15 times? But he's never actually flown. He's never actually been in an airplane. One's knowledge with experience. Yeah. One's knowledge without. Yeah. Who do you want flying your airplane? <laughs> you want knowledge with experience. Well, that's what makes us powerful ministers of the love of God. Amen? Yeah. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Bless you, Lord. I'll say this to those of you in this room this morning. You're in here because either you're a part of our staff or you're a part of this team that's helping build this thing. I know we've got others that are here literally helping us build this thing. But you need to be ready. Tyler, Audrey, Chris, Courtney, Cash, Lund. I mean, everyone. I go through the entire room. Justice, Jesse, Jackson, Addie. Be ready. What if, what if, me or Sarah says, Tyler, testify and just throws a mic in your chest. Man, that's not, that's not the time to be like, oh, what scripture am I going to go to? I don't have my notes with me. Just tell the story. You got a story. You have a mercy story. It's a lot like mine. Every one of us. Are you ready? Andy, can you be ready? I mean, it, it, this isn't hypothetical here. It's coming. <laughs> this, is, this is warning Sunday because it's coming. We're going to put a microphone in your face. And whether it's from this pulpit or standing in front of the church or at the grocery store, be ready. You know what the name of this uh, sermon is today? I should have told you sooner. Can I get a witness? <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Father, we worship you this morning. You're so faithful. You're so good. And you have given every single one of us a mercy story, a story of an encounter with your love. We thank you for it. We ask you, Father, to give us opportunity to tell the story and cause this church to grow, not by some method of marketing, not by some scheme that persuades people to come, but cause this place to increase the same way we see it in your word by those who just told the story of what they'd seen and what they'd heard of the good things that you'd done for them.
thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. You have done good things. You've done great things. And greater things are yet to come. And Lord, we'll be quick to tell it. And we ask you to anoint the words so that they minister to the people that hear it. They minister grace and they soften hearts. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Something? Thank you, Lord. Oh, we worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. A good story will give God a lot of glory. And you know, we say this around here. Faith in God will give you a story that will give God glory. You know, it takes a really authentic story to work with people. It takes being super real. It's got to be true. And being super genuine. It's got to be true. And um, I've learned this over the years with ministry and you know growing in ministry that the more authentic you become the more effective you will be amen and the more authentic you are that that means you have some people ask me well how do i do that you spend a lot of time with jesus because <laughs> he is the most real genuine authentic amazing person and the more you are around him the more he rubs off on you and so when you go out, you spend time with him, and then you go out, your authenticity will shine through. And it'll just be, you have a window of opportunity, and somebody will bring something up, and you can just start telling them your story. You can go back, and you can recall what God has done for you. Sometimes when I'm telling my story, I just tear up, like Jeremy was saying. I can't help it. And we should always have a current testimony. Yeah. Things that we have been believing God for. Things that we have been in faith for and that He has done for us. Things that are real, that are genuine. You know, I, I was remembering this story about John G. Lake. And uh, 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 he had gone to hear a minister speak a long time ago. He said the anointing was so strong in the place where he ministered. But a, few late, a few years later, he went back and it was dry dry as a desert so he went to this guy's assistant this ministers and he said why is it so dry i saw this guy years ago and the power of god was there and the anointing was there god was moving people were being healed and changed he said what happened and his his assistant said this to him he said he this minister had lost his love for the book which is the word of god and he had lost he had no current testimony no current story so doesn't that just give you just such a desire to, man, go home and write in your vision list. Go home and stir up that, that thing that God's put in your heart to believe Him for. Go just start believing God again because you want a new story. Every day you want a new story about what God's done for you. Because faith in God will give you a story Amen. that will give Him glory. And you want it to be super authentic. You want it to be real. You know, everybody in this church, I believe God's sending us people from all over the world. And Legacy Church is full of a bunch of real people, genuine people. Do I, when I say real, do I mean, uh, how would you say it? No, you don't mean that. 
uh, you know what I mean. Uh, do I mean um, real, like you wear your sleeve, your feelings on your sleeve, you just throw it all out oh, like there? like real carnal. That's like real carnal. Yeah. I'm talking about real, real faith and being real is, how do you say it? You know. Yeah, I do. It's so good. What he says. It's basically something to this effect. I'm going to butcher it probably. But uh, it's being real is being true to the word. It's, yeah. it's, it's basing your life on the reality of the word. And so you want to be uh, authentic with people. Amen. And when you go out to this community, the more real you are, the more effective we're going to be as a church. The more you tell your real story, not try to put on something. It's going to be so good. People are going to be drawn to this place, and we are going to grow, grow, grow. Being real does not mean you say only what you feel. It means you say only what you believe. That's it. Woo! Told you. It's so good. I totally bitched it. Uh, be, say it again. You're not very loud. Being real does not mean you say only what you feel. It means you say only what you believe. That's it. That's a real believer. Thank you, Lord. Well, I believe the Lord's talking to us. Amen? Yes. Did that help you today? Yes. So when the opportunity comes... To testify, remember, God didn't give you a spirit of fear. Don't be ashamed of the testimony. Thank you, Lord. Listen, by His grace, by His help, and by the leadership of His Spirit, we will always be in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people. Amen? Amen. We love you guys online. We love you, and we'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY in any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.